If you would, open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalm 25. To use as a jumping off point, if you wish, our text is found here in Psalm 25, verses 4 through 7. Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. For some time now, we've been doing a series of meditations, usually on something that we have studied in the past few years, reviewing it, but then sort of putting it in manageable form. I usually give you four things to consider sort of as fuel for your meditation in the coming week. Memory is one such subject, something that we looked at a little over two years ago. Today it will be the subject of our meditation. I hope that some of it will sound familiar and that you haven't forgotten what we have studied. But let's begin. Memory is an important part of what it means to be human. And the Bible has a lot to say about memory and remembering and forgetting as well. Memory is important, as is remembering. But I think we fail to appreciate what the scripture says about these matters. For various reasons, I think we are somewhat short-sighted when it comes to this issue. Let me begin by mentioning four failings in our, in our dealings, if you wish, our view of memory. And this is specific to us as Americans, because we live in this country and we share a culture. First of all, as Americans, we tend to undervalue memory. It's a good thing we have July 4th to come around to remind us, because I think otherwise we would not remember. And one could argue that people know, oh yes, July 4th, but they're not quite sure why it is an important day. And this is true of the church as well, that American Christians, it has been argued, have a very wide faith, but a very shallow faith. There are no roots. They don't have memory of the things in the past. Secondly, and this is one that I struggle with, and that is we, we see remembering or memory as a purely intellectual matter. As modern or postmodern people, many tend to see memory as simply that. Now, the Romantic movement sort of reacted against that, um, the Bible is not romantic, nor is it modern. It, in fact, sees memory as involving much more than the mind, that it is much more than an intellectual matter. In the same way that believing involves the mind, but is not simply a matter of the mind, so it is with memory. We live in a society which prizes intellect, reason, more than it does love relationships and being together. I think that many people today would argue that the essence of who you are as a human being is what you think you are as a human being. And so thinking and remembering become purely matters of the mind. And if that is the case, what happens when we begin to lose our memory? Do we become less than human? 
Number three, I think a failing that we have is we tend to put too much weight on our own ability to remember as well as our ability to think or reason. Depending on um, our abilities, sadly it shapes how we view our relationship with God. But we see in our text today and we find throughout scripture, it is a profound truth that God remembers his people and what comfort we should derive from this. I may mention this again later in the sermon, but you know, time and time again we, we read, and God remembered, and then we're given the name of a person. And just imagine, put your name in there, and God remembered, and then say your name. What a comfort it would be, particularly if you've been through a time in which all evidence seems to indicate that God has quite literally forgotten about you. And then lastly, I think one of our failings is we fail to rest in God's remembering. God is the one who remembers. He is the God who remembers. He calls on us to remember as well. And the foundation of our memory, of our remembering, is in fact rooted in who God is as one who remembers. So, as God's people, considering the matter of memory, let me present to you four things, hopefully that will provide fuel for you to think about and to meditate on in the coming days. First of all, memory is a gift as a part of what it means to be human. I think people would say, yeah, well, that, that's good. But what we fail to recognize is that as human beings, we are completely dependent upon God. And there is nothing that we have that has not been given to us. And so if we have the ability to remember, then that, in fact, has been given to us. It is a gift from God. As one writer put it, radical dependency marks human beings. In a book written by someone whose father had Alzheimer's, the author noted, we are radically dependent upon our parents, families, and friends or other responsible persons from the moment of our first breath and through all our formative years. And we are radically dependent upon God for among many, many, I'm sorry, among manifold graces and loves, the blessedness of everlasting life. Radical dependence challenges the ultimate isolating ends of the absolutized of our postmodern time. We don't want to be dependent. And part of this being Americans, we want to be independent. We want to take care of ourselves. But if we are human beings and if God has given us memory, then we are dependent upon God. This is a gift from God. No, we prize freedom and autonomy and individualism. We imagine we are deluded into thinking that we are self-sufficient. But when you think about it, for the sake of argument, let's take God out of the picture. As human beings, we are dependent upon family, upon our neighbors, our community, as well as civil society around us. But we cannot forget about God because God is the one who sustains all things, who has gifted us with everything that we have. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. What it means to be human is to be radically dependent. 
It means that we are creatures. We have been made by God. And as Paul told the Greeks at the Areopagus, for in him we live and move and have our being. This means that we need to recognize that everything we have is gift. I think normally we would say everything we have is a gift. I think it might be stronger to say that everything is gift. It is gifted to us by God. Whatever abilities we have, whatever capacities we have, these are nothing more and nothing less than gifts from God. Job said after a series of disasters, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Human beings are gifted and valued because God loves them and continues to care for them in the midst of their joys and sorrows. So to be human, to be a person is to be human. And to be human is to be gifted and to be loved. What if you begin to lose your memory? Are you less loved? Are you less gifted? What if you become dependent upon others? It doesn't diminish your humanness at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. But I don't think this is the way that we think. If you ask someone about someone who can no longer tell their story, they can never tell you what has happened in their life, um, somehow we imagine that they, they are somehow less than human. The reality is God tells the story, and we have no option but to participate in the story that God has written. Uh, Stanley Harwas, uh, who taught at Duke for years, has a wonderful thing here. Long story short, we don't get to make up our lives. We get to receive them as gifts. The story that says we should have no story except the story we choose when we have no story is a lie. To be human is to learn that we don't get to make up our lives because we are creatures. Christians are people who recognize that we have a Father whom we can thank for our existence. Christian discipleship is about learning to receive our life as gift without regret. We are not the authors of our own stories, though we would imagine that we are. Our calling is to learn how to read and to interpret the story that God has given us in our lives, but also in Scripture. Rather than saying, as Descartes did, I think, therefore I am, or I am because I choose to be, we should say, I am because I am created. I am because I am dependent, gifted, and loved in all circumstances and for all time. So the first thing for us to think about and meditate on is that memory is a gift. But secondly, the second thing for us to chew on, if you wish, is that memory is not the sum total of who we are. I am not my memory. One of the things that Adam and Eve did was they pushed aside the idea that they, are de they were dependent upon God. 
that they needed God somehow. The serpent tempted them into thinking that they could be like God. Is it too much to suggest that oftentimes that's the way we think and that those around us think as well? We want to be free. We want to be autonomous. We want to have God-like freedom and knowledge. We want to manage and continue to manage our lives and in the process we become alienated from God who is the source of life and love. To be human is to be mortal and mortality means that decay is inevitable. But our humanness is not diminished one whit by our decay, if you wish. It's part of what it means to be human. We are living our lives out in this process of a creation that has fallen, that is broken. But it is in the process of being redeemed. But as we get older, as we get weaker, perhaps more feeble, our memories are not what they, we think they should be. This is part of what it means to be human. Okay? And we are not less human for losing these things. To lose one's memory is not to move from being person or 100% human to somehow being diminished as a human being. To be human in a world that is not yet fully redeemed is to get old and to forget things. This is what we find in scripture as it describes the world in a way quite different from the society and the culture around us. Oliver Sacks uh, wrote, Neurology's favorite word is deficit, denoting an impairment or an incapacity of neurological function, loss of speech, loss of language, loss of memory, loss of vision, loss of dexterity, loss of identity, and myriad other lacks and losses of specific functions or faculties. It's not to say that this is wrong, but this is not the place to begin the conversation for at least two reasons. First of all, it, it fails to take into account that we are all broken. Okay? To various degrees. But then secondly, it, it somehow imagines that there is sort of this line of this is what is normal. This is what is typical. And then everything that varies from that is somehow defective. You have a baseline of normality. And then everything else that varies from that is defective. This is not what we find in scripture. How is an individual to be viewed with Oliver Sacks and the people he dealt with as a patient or as a person? Patient defines someone as someone who needs medical care. Not necessarily seen as a person. Seen in a very impersonal way. We need to realize that our words shape our worlds. When it comes to the matter of what does scripture say about remembering and memory, we need to be very careful about the language that we use. Modern medicine has done amazing things, and I'm not rejecting it out of hand. But I think we should consider that it fails to include in its vocabulary things that we find in scripture. So, People may speak of unhappiness and relational disconnection. 
but rarely do people speak of sin or God, faithfulness or discipleship. If our approach is that of defectiveness, if that is in fact what drives our thinking, we will see people in a very, very different light. We will, in a sense, have a a list, a checklist of things to check off to make sure that this person is, is fully human, that they really are a person. So we talk about their cognitive aspect and the emotional component and so on. And then these are broken down into memory, language functions, calculation, attention, general intelligence, and it goes on and on. The way you view a human being is a result of your worldview. And at the same time, it also shapes your worldview. Just a side note, uh, my first lecture in all my courses I began teaching this week is on worldview. And it's a little bit startled this past week that three people walked out in the middle of my lecture on worldview. And I'm like, have I said something that is deeply offensive? I don't think so. But if you have a faulty worldview, consider the following you will think that to lose your memory is to lose your personhood. That if someone has dementia, Alzheimer's, or any other type of condition, one ceases to become a human being. Another result of a faulty worldview is that memory is seen as the the definition. This is what it means to be human. I would argue that it is not. One filmmaker stated, you have to begin to lose your memory, if only in bits and pieces, to realize that memory is what makes our lives. Life without memory is no life at all, just as an intelligence without the possibility of expression is not really an intelligence. Our memory is our coherence, our reason, our feeling, even our action. Without it, we are nothing. No. That is not a biblical view of memory or of personhood. Another result of a bad worldview is that some people would say, if I can't continue to tell my story, if it can't play out the way that I want it to, then I no longer want to be around. That if I lose my memory, then I lose myself, and therefore I am not a human being anymore. And the next step to this, as a result of a faulty worldview, is to conclude that without memory, a person is no longer a person and their lives should be ended. One person argued, putting it brutally, you'd be licensing people to be put or to put others down. Actually, I think, why not? Because the real person has gone already and all that's left is just the body of a person and nobody wants to remember it in this condition. But if life is a gift, and if we are all broken, if someone is, if you wish, more broken at a particular point in their life, do we say, well, you're less than human because you're you're more broken than I am. Here's the baseline of brokenness, and you're way below that, so we might as well end your life. Also along this line, some have argued that those who have lost their memory or their abilities, who are disabled, they are, in one author's words, wasting other people's lives 
and should have the decency to take their own lives. We might wonder why this issue? Why this issue? Because when you think about it, if a person gets cancer, we don't say, oh, they're less than human. If somebody has some terminal disease, we do not view them as less than human. But when it comes to memory, somehow this has become, in a very hypercognitive, I guess that's redundant, in a hypercognitive world, um, memory is it. And without it, you are less than a person. This is not what we find in Scripture. So let's come to the third thing for us to meditate on. The basis of our view of remembering and forgetting, by the way, rests on the truth that God remembers and God forgets. The foundation of our redemption is God's remembering. After the account of when God destroyed the world with a flood, Genesis 8 begins with the wonderful words, but God remembered Noah. Not meaning at all that God had forgotten about them, that rather that in contrast to his judgment, in which he killed all human beings except these eight in the ark, we find God acting in love toward these people. One writer put it this way, God's remembering always implies his movement toward the object of his memory. If we think memory is just mental, intellectual, then it requires no action. You simply, you're like this computer that you have all this information that you remember. But what we see, and if we're going to remember as God remembers, God acts in love toward the objects of his remembering. And it is a wonderful thing, as I said earlier, to be remembered by God. In Genesis 8, as I've just read, God remembered Noah. In Genesis 19 and 20, after having destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he remembered Abraham, we are told. Then later on, God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. In the story of Hannah, in her prayer, she said, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to you. And later we read, early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Does this mean just something in his head, this intellectual process, the synapses going off, and God remembered that what Hannah had said. No, he acted toward her in love. The basis of our view of remembering and forgetting should rest on the foundation that God remembers and forgets. But it is not the same as ours. Okay, It's not exactly the same as ours. We describe God in scripture in ways that are accessible to our limited minds. When we speak of God remembering, it's not that he has forgotten and then suddenly it comes back to mind, but rather it points to his faithfulness. 
And we find a number of prayers of God's people in which they call on him to remember, not imagining for a moment that he has forgotten, but they want him to act toward them in a particular way. The story of Samson, who had been deceived by Delilah, captured and blinded by the Philistines, was later brought out for a big feast so that they could mock him and make sport of him. He asked that his hands be put on the pillars which supported the temple where the feast was, the temple of Dagon. And then he prayed, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more. Or the thief on the cross, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We also find God's people praising God for remembering him in Psalm 136. To the one who remembered us in our lowest state, his love endures forever. It's not that God says, oh yeah, I forgot about those people down there. I need to remember to take care of them. It is his acting toward his people. It is a profound truth that God remembers his people and we should be comforted by that. God's knowledge of us is far too great for us to comprehend. But at the heart of it is the fact that God remembers us. There's something else, and that is God's forgetting. And one might wonder, well, if God can do all things, and if he knows all things, how can he forget? Well, again, it's not a matter of the mind. When God forgets, he turns away from that. That is pushed away, as we heard in the promise of forgiveness, as far as the east is from the west. God has forgotten our sins. Again, God remembers in a way quite different from us, but it is the basis of our remembering. See, for us, there is a past to be remembered, and then we live in the present, we hope for the future, but for God, he transcends time, and so it's all the same. So it isn't as though somehow God's like, oh yeah, way back when I made a promise and I'd forgotten about that but now I've remembered and so I'm going to take care of that it is all present to him and it is all gifted by him he has created us he sustains us he acts toward us to be remembered by God is to be sustained by God I wonder if we think that when we think about remembering other people are they simply just something else in the data bank that we're oh yeah so and so God remembers. And when God forgets, it no longer exists, which is quite remarkable. We remember the Lord's death in communion. It's not simply looking back, glancing back, oh, that Jesus died on the cross. It is an acknowledging of the power, the transforming impact of that memory for the present moment. Because if, if communion is just like, oh yeah, we remember back when Jesus died for us. What does that mean for the present? It should in fact have a dramatic impact. What happens if we begin to lose our memory? Well, the foundation of memory is God's remembering. So we should not lose hope. It might, in fact, be a little bit scary. But the reality is, God remembers. I may not remember. 
and that may be disturbing, but God remembers. And it isn't simply that it's in the big computer up in heaven somewhere. God is always acting toward us. To be remembered by God is to endure in the present and into eternity. People have been doing a lot of talking, uh, philosophers and others, about consciousness. And a, a school of thought has emerged of extended consciousness. I think it's actually sort of extended memory. Uh, I don't know about you, but if I want to remember something, I'm better off writing it down somewhere. So, in a sense, it's outside of me. It's an extension of me, but it's not within me, it's outside of me. Um, when you get together with family and friends and you are reminded of things that happened before, in a sense, they are an extension of your memory as well. So, memory has both the internal and the external components. Some of it is held by us as individuals. Sometimes it's held for the individual by the community. But all of it, all of it is held by God. So my extended memory is not simply something I've written down on a piece of paper to remind me to do something. Of course, I need to write another note to remember to look at that note to to remind me to do something. Uh, God has it all. He has it all. If we recognize that our identity is held by God, then we can be certain that losing a part or all of our memory will not destroy us now or in the future. If being remembered by God indicates and necessitates some form of action of God toward us, because remember God's action is acting toward us, then God is doing something right now. It's not as though God's in neutral and at some point in the future we want him to put it into drive and remember us. He is always remembering us. He's always acting toward us. Even when we have lost certain parts of our memory. Okay, the fourth thing for us to meditate on and consider is that as God's people we should think of memory in terms of community. In our culture but perhaps in other cultures as well, we assign good or bad memory to the individual. Oh, that person's got a great memory. Or that person can't remember anything. That we tend to make it a very individual matter. Uh, The expression that person has a memory like an elephant. They can remember. Unfortunately, that's how the church, I think, has thought for the last century or so. I would suggest that we should think of memory in terms of the congregation. And for us, that means the church on Melrose. David Wells, in a book called No Place for Truth, said regarding the modern age and the mass media, this is experience without community. I think this is how many people view the Christian life. I will have a relationship with God. Yeah, and maybe I'll I'll come to church, but... This idea of a communal memory, of us together remembering, is something I think we've lost sight of. 
We are God's people. We are to remember together. We are to remind each other. Remember that time when you were sick and we prayed for you and God healed you? Amazingly enough, you may have indeed forgotten that, but others in the congregation have not. It's something that we are to do as a congregation, as a community, not simply as an individual. Now, some people have better memories than others. Some are more gifted in this area than others. Um, That's fine. They are a gift to the church. They can remind us of what God has done. I think one of my functions as your pastor is to remind you, to help you remember the things that God has done. Peter wrote in his second and last epistle, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. In other words, you guys know this, but I'm going to remind you. I think it is right to refresh your memory, as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. I'm convinced this is a vital part of church life, and perhaps one that we haven't talked about, or perhaps one we haven't practiced. When we speak of things uh, during the time for prayer, of specific needs, it would be good if, in fact, as the prayer is answered yes or no, or whatever happens, to then remind the congregation, oh, I asked you all to pray about this situation, and this is how it was resolved. The second thing is, we should not limit ourselves to Melrose. We should think of memory in terms of the church at large today. Um, I think our experience of God has been fairly narrow. Um, I think we have it really easy that God has been good to us in that sense. We need to be reminded that we have brothers and sisters around the globe who don't have it as we do. Most of our brothers and sisters outside of North America do not have an easy life. One could make the analogy that we, in this country, are Job before all the disasters. And our brothers and sisters around the globe are Job after the disasters. And yet, our brothers and sisters continue to worship God in the face of poverty, persecution, adversity. One might accuse us, as Satan did, of Job. Does Job fear God for nothing? You have blessed the works of his hands. We've got it easy. We've got it good. We need to be reminded, we need to remember our brothers and sisters We aren't the only people on the planet. We're not the only believers on the planet. And we need to be reminded of what they are going through. The third thing, we should think of memory in terms of the church in the past. I think I mentioned this the other Sunday. The community of the dead. Communion with the dead. They're gone. They're with the Lord Jesus. But their experiences, the things that they went through, How is it that our brothers and sisters could face death so fearlessly in the midst of persecution? In the hymn that we sing, Holy God, we praise thy name, 
Lo, the apostolic train join thy sacred name to hallow. Prophets swell the glad refrain, and the white-robed martyrs follow. And from morn to set of sun, through the church the song goes on. The church remembers. The church sings. It is reminded. But we are Americans, and seem to go our own way oftentimes. One writer put it this way, the way Americans deal with the past is a function of our approach to life. Fundamentally, we have two ways of dealing with it. We idealize it, or when it is impossible, we forget it. So when we think of the past, it's either this romantic, through rose-colored glasses, wonderful golden past, or we simply forget about it, and we haven't learned anything. Alan Bloom, in his book, The Closing of the American Mind, said, forgetting in a variety of subtle forms is one of primary modes of problem solving. You want to solve the problem? Just forget about it. Just forget about it. Do not remember. It seems to me that many American Christians have no sense of the past. That is, of God's working with our brothers and sisters who have now gone to be with the Lord Jesus. If we think only in terms of our experience, it will be very, very narrow. Very, very narrow. We should, in fact, remember what God is doing right now, what he has done in the past for his people. God doesn't simply work in one way. Because if he does, either we're in trouble or our brothers and sisters who face persecution are in trouble. Because if God can only work one way, then... It's either our way or their way. The fact is God works in a variety of ways and we should remember this. We should be reminded uh, this is a function of memory. Those of us in this congregation who are older oftentimes find ourselves having forgetful moments, sometimes called senior moments. I would ask that those of you who are younger should stand by us with us in different ways. But one of the ways we need to stand by each other is to remember that memory is not purely an intellectual thing. There's a very strong spiritual and moral component. I would argue that young Christians, young people, could be just as likely to forget what God has done as older people. Because it's not a matter of the intellect, it's a matter of the heart. And if you have forgotten what God has done for you, yeah, then there's something wrong. It is a person who walks in step with the Lord, who has a memory, who lives, as we've seen in the past weeks, who has an attitude of gratitude all the time, not just when they get what they want. Then this has a profound impact on the memory. So, memory is a gift, as is all of life. Memory is not all that we are. Foundational to our ability to remember and to forget should be seen in the Creator, in the Redeemer. That God is one who remembers and forgets. And lastly, memory is to be communal. We are to remind one another. You may remember that in the series on miracles, we saw that we can and ought to believe for one another. I think for me that was a big eye-opener that the men, the four friends who let their friend down, the paralyzed man down through the roof, uh, Jesus saw their faith. 
Not his faith, their faith. They believed for him. I would argue in the same way, there will be times when we ought to remember for one another, and perhaps we ought to forget for one another. To forget is to put it aside. It does not exist. It's gone. We should do this for one another as God's people. Let's pray together. Our Father, I'm grateful that you call us to remember. I thank you for the gift of memory. But as with, seems like all gifts, they can be twisted, used for our own purposes, and even perverted, so that memory becomes sentimentality and nostalgia. I thank you for the gift of memory. And that it means not simply using our minds, but our hearts. We are to be always filled with gratitude, walking in step with you, and acting toward each other and those around us in love. I thank you that you have given us things to help us remember like Sundays when we come together and we sing and we hear your word read and preached all we do we are reminded things that we might have forgotten in the previous week you've given us your word and you've given us each other so that we can remember together we can remind each other What wonderful words we hear that you remembered Noah, you remembered Rachel, Hannah, and so many others. And that your people knew to cry out to you in times of need, Lord, remember me. Living when and where we do, I think that this is a more difficult issue than it's been for our brothers and sisters in the past, and perhaps even our brothers and sisters around the globe today. We've reduced everything to the cognitive. It's just a matter of thinking, of remembering. Help us to see that it's much more than that. May we be filled with gratitude for what you've given us. May we recognize that who we are, not simply the gifts that you've given us, it's more than that that you are the foundation of our remembering and that we are to stand together. We remember together. Father, may this be fuel for us in the days to come. Things to think on and meditate on. We pray for those that aren't with us today who are traveling, uh, for the Greenholtz, uh, for Tom, for the Rollins, for others. We ask that in your time you would bring them back to us safely. We pray for safety in this coming week as we remember the great liberties we have, those who have gone before us, fought for, and many died for.
and may we be filled with gratitude. I ask that your spirit and your grace would go with us as we leave this place today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.